When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Have you ever thought about what your money does when it's sitting at the bank? Well, spoiler alert, it's not actually just sitting at the bank. It's being invested. Invested heavily and a lot of the time in fossil fuels. I'm saying big banks invested more than $575 billion of our money last year in the fossil fuel industry. Good news, I found Aspiration, a new digital banking alternative that will never use your money to fund fossil fuels. With Aspiration, you can even choose to plant a tree with every purchase using just your spare change. You can get up to 10% cash back at environmentally friendly partners and access up to 20 times more interest than a traditional bank. For a limited time, Aspiration is offering our listeners up to $200 when you open an account at aspiration.com green. That's aspiration.com green to learn more details. Everything you do is making an impact in this world. This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. How dare you? And I feel like it's my responsibility as a human being. So what? The world is at stake. You're listening to Eco Chic, a podcast about climate, sustainability, and eco-conscious lifestyles. What? Like it's hard? Hey y'all, welcome back to Eco Chic. I hope you're doing well and I hope your Earth Month is off to a really, really good start. My name is Laura Diaz. I'm so happy to have you here today. I'm excited because today's episode is a little bit different from what we've been doing lately, but I've had it in my back pocket for a little while. It's a little current, a little historic, a little scandalous, hopefully juicy, and we're going to be talking today about environmental scandals, environmental disasters that have really caught national attention and the value of learning from those events. So this is something that I've had a document on for a little while, things that I've wanted to talk about, and events that just really impacted me as an environmental scientist, an environmental advocate, I suppose, events and stories that I felt particularly connected to that really got me fired up about advocacy and justice and advocating for what's right. And like I mentioned, I've been wanting to talk about this for a little while, but I was really pushed to put out this episode this week after the news last week of the Florida wastewater disaster, frankly, that received national attention. So I want to first set the scene with that and some current events. So perhaps you've heard about the Piney Point Reservoir that began leaking last week and there was a state of emergency issued and all of that. So let's get into it. We are going to be talking about Piney Point, which is about 40 minutes south of Tampa on the Gulf of Mexico, the west side of Florida. A reservoir in Florida that holds nearly 400 million gallons of wastewater from a former phosphate mine began leaking last Saturday. 
A very basic understanding of why this happened is that the walls of this reservoir, which is basically like a giant contained pool of water, started caving in. We're talking here about a 79-acre reservoir, so a huge, huge pool of water. There was a leak in one of the walls that has been concerning in recent years, and last week that leak in the wall started opening up at an alarming level. Water was seeping out of this reservoir into a pond system that this reservoir is a part of. The pond system is helpful here because the water is contained, isolated to some extent, so this toxic water isn't directly leaking into the Tampa Bay or into a drinking water facility. However, we are still, again, talking about a massive leak of mining byproducts. Water was leaking at a rate of two to three million gallons per day. All right, why is this problematic? I just told you it's not leaking directly into groundwater. This reservoir holds phosphogypsum, a waste byproduct of phosphate mining, and it contains appreciable quantities, quote, of radioactive materials, uranium, radium, gross radioactive stuff like that. This is obviously a significant threat to human health, safety, welfare, the environment, all of the animals that live in the adjacent areas. It's a really big problem. The governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, declared a state of emergency last week and over 300 homes in the Piney Point area were evacuated. The Manatee County Commissioner, the county that this is a part of, said that he was with a group of engineers surveying the reservoir when they determined it was, quote, no longer safe to be anywhere near Piney Point. So there was a serious potential for a large, disastrous breach of this reservoir wall. I am not an engineer or a geologist, so it's not my place to speculate and tell Manatee County or the Piney Point crew what they did wrong. However, the county commissioner has publicly said that they have been working on fixing the infrastructure to this reservoir for, quote, 20 years unsuccessfully. The phosphate plant was established at Piney Point in 1966 and became inactive in 2001, so it's been sitting unused for about 20 years. Here's the kicker. This is not the first scandal at Piney Point. In 2003, treated wastewater was pumped into the ocean, and in 2011, a breach sent wastewater into an adjacent harbor. Ultimately, right now, people are back in their homes. The state of emergency has been lifted. The reservoir is safe for now. So what does this call for? It feels like the obvious answer here is funding. What do we prioritize in local government budgets, and what do we feel like we can put off? There is a difference between resiliency and mitigation, and that is that resiliency is being proactive about threats and mitigation is dealing with them as they come. We talk about resiliency a lot in the climate movement because once a climate disaster is here, it's going to be almost impossible to do anything about it. And that's why we want to be resilient. We want to invest in clean technologies and lower our emissions and all of our favorite buzzwords before we invest in something like carbon capture technology that doesn't quite exist yet, and that's just to clean up our mess. To give a totally different but kind of similar idea, we talk a lot about skincare, and it's just better to take care of your skin and use sunscreen and care for it a little bit each day, as opposed to doing nothing and waiting 30 years to buy into lasers and Botox and whatever else. The concept here is cosmetic treatments can only do so much if you're not drinking enough water and doing all of those small things for yourself to build up for that, to give yourself the best possible outcome, depending on what your goals are. 
So similarly, resilience, we want to set our communities up for the best possible outcome. And if mitigation makes sense down the road to clean up some of the fallout we couldn't get into in our quest to save the planet, then that's great too. But mitigation cannot be the main goal. It should be resiliency. One of my favorite things to do in April during Earth Month is to think more deeply about my sustainability and to think more deeply about what more I could be doing for the environment in addition to what I'm already thinking I'm doing every single day. And one of the easiest ways that I've found to level up my day-to-day environmental impact is by banking with Aspiration. Did you know that big banks invested more than $575 billion of our money into the fossil fuel industry? totally gross. And when I learned that my money isn't just sitting in a bank somewhere, it's actually being invested into businesses, I realized that I wanted that money to be invested into businesses that I believed in. Aspiration will never use your money to fund fossil fuels. With Aspiration, you can even choose to plant a tree with every purchase using your spare change. Super easy thing to do. If you're just going out for a coffee, that extra 50 cents is going towards planting a tree. And that makes me feel really good. Another thing I like is that you can get up to 10% cash back at environmentally friendly partners, which means your conscious consumerism is really paying you back. Access up to 20 times the interest of a traditional bank and pay zero fees at over 55,000 ATMs. And good news, for a limited time, Aspiration is offering our listeners up to $200 when you open an account at aspiration.com green. You can learn more details when you sign up for a better world at aspiration.com green. Now back to the show. So back to scandals, back to water. I want to talk about Superfund sites. Specifically, one of the stories that got me interested in environmental studies at all, and that's the story of Love Canal. Love Canal was America's first Superfund site. Love Canal is a neighborhood in upstate New York in Niagara Falls, and it's famous for being the home of a 70-acre landfill that became the site of an enormous environmental disaster in the 1970s. Now, to best understand the story of Love Canal, let's do a little history lesson timeline to set the scene. In 1890, Love Canal was created as a model community. It was only partially developed, though. People did move in, but it was, again, not a complete, total, subdivision-style community yet. In the 1920s, the canal itself, adjacent to this neighborhood, became a dump site for the city of Niagara Falls. And then 20-ish years later, in the 1940s, the canal was purchased by Hooker Chemical Company, which used the site to dump almost 22,000 tons of chemical byproducts from manufacturing of dyes and perfumes and solvents for the rubbers and synthetics that were being produced by this chemical company. So some really gross byproducts. Now, our timeline continues into the year of 1953, when the neighborhood of Love Canal was sold to a local school district. Over the next 30 years or so, the neighborhood received big-time national attention for all of these really wild human health issues that were being linked to the toxic dump site. We're talking about high white blood cell counts and leukemia. I remember watching a documentary on Love Canal in high school, and there were kids just randomly losing their teeth because calcium levels were so out of whack. So Superfund sites are America's most hazardous waste sites locations with unsafe, unhealthy levels of environmental contamination, such as those from toxic dump sites. 
there are currently over 1,800 identified Superfund sites in America. And again, Love Canal was the first. Once an area is deemed a Superfund site, there is federal money allotted to cleaning up and mitigating that issue. However, when we talk about Superfund sites, we really need to talk about environmental racism. Environmental racism is a concept in the environmental justice movement that describes environmental injustices that occur upon BIPOC communities, both in practice and in policy. Communities near landfills, hazardous waste facilities, sources of pollution runoff like that of Love Canal are mainly home to Black, Indigenous, or people of color, BIPOC communities. 70% of the country's Superfund sites listed on their national priorities list are located within a mile of government-assisted housing. That is a crazy statistic. Tenants living near Superfund sites are identified as predominantly people of color, children, the elderly, and disabled people. 43% of public housing tenants are Black, 21% are Latino. This is all information from the EPA's Superfund website, and they actually have an interactive map if you want to go and see if there are any Superfund sites near you. There is a map on the EPA website that shows you where they all are and how far along they are in the mitigation and cleanup process. Of course, talking about water contamination and justice for human health reminds me of Erin Brockovich and her historic famous experience fighting for the people of Hinckley, California. I'm not going to go too deep into this scandal because it was very well documented in the film titled Aaron Brockovich, and the real Aaron Brockovich actually joined me on this here podcast to speak about her experience, and I can link that episode down below. The movie itself is a cinematic masterpiece, and I just really recommend it as a good viewing experience. Aaron Brockovich is played by Julia Roberts, and I love Julia Roberts. But more importantly, it's the story of legislation and citizen science and class action lawsuits. Hinkley, California is in the Mojave Desert, a couple hours outside of Los Angeles, and it was a wastewater dump site for PG&E, the Pacific Gas and Electric Company. There was contaminated water with really high levels of hexavalent chromium, which is a well-known carcinogen, discharged into unlined pools, which ultimately leaked into the aquifer, which was serving Hinkley residents drinking water. A class action lawsuit about the contamination was settled in 1996, for $333 million, which was the largest settlement of a class action lawsuit in U.S. history. Again, fascinating story, wonderful movie, highly recommend viewing for anyone interested in environmental justice. And again, I'll link that conversation with Aaron Brockovich down below. The last major water scandal I'd like us to just touch on today is Deepwater Horizon. In April of 2010, in the Gulf of Mexico on the BP-operated Macondo Prospect, there was the largest marine oil spill in the history of the petroleum industry. The Deepwater Horizon is estimated to be 8 to 31% larger in volume than the previous largest ever petroleum industry oil spill, which was the Exxon Valdez oil spill that occurred in Alaska in 1989. BP agreed to pay $18.7 billion in fines after the oil spill for cleanup efforts, and to this day, oil is still being cleaned up from Gulf communities, particularly in southern Louisiana, and this was the largest corporate settlement in the United States history. I wish there was more of a conclusion, but it seems like the central message here is about justice and accountability and advocacy and demanding regulation. 
We still do not have overhauling regulation on drinking water standards in America. That's something that Erin Brockovich also talked about on her episode of Eco Chic, that standards are not the same as regulations. It's essentially a recommendation, and there still has to be major overhaul of drinking water standards and wastewater standards in America to have truly safe, excellent drinking water all across the country. And while we do have EPA standards on landfills and dump sites, RICRA standards on how landfills have to be lined, we don't have a national standardized waste disposal system. We have to think about communities that are either outsourcing their trash collection to a private company like Waste Management or operating their own landfills, which is expensive. And the average garbage truck in America drives about 100 miles each way to get to a landfill. Waste is a problem that creates other problems. That's also why it's so hard to recycle in America and why recycling standards are so different from place to place. If you enjoyed this little storytelling episode about environmental scandals, we will certainly do this again sometime. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. And if you have a favorite story or a favorite scandal that really shook you as an environmentalist, please reach out and I would love to share it. You can reach out to me on social at Podcast. I am on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse is my new favorite, all of the places, and I'll leave even my email linked down below. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I will talk to you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.